This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Welcome to Critics at Large, a podcast from The New Yorker. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham. And I'm Alex Schwartz. Hello, everyone. Hey. Hi. We are staff writers at The New Yorker, and each week we make sense of what's happening in the culture right now and how we got here. So this may come as a huge surprise to the two of you. Tell us. Um, you know, I'm not the most up to date when it comes to the wide world of reality television. No. Mm-hmm. I'm not <laughs> shocked. Yeah. Scandalous. Yes. <laughs> yes, I'm not. I wouldn't I wouldn't count myself a member of Bachelor Nation uh, in, in right. a phrase that I've recently <laughs> that learned. That you just recently learned. Uh-huh, uh-huh. So, so why, yeah. so Alex, tell us, why, why is that, do you think? What is it about reality television that you're not uh, super into? Um, I think just the panopticon nature of it has always freaked me out. Yeah. The idea that you're supposed to be living like a lizard in some child's terrarium <laughs> and conducting See, your... See, that's what I like. Yeah, yeah. Well, <laughs> I, I gather that's what that's what many people like. Yeah. I'm a lizard in the terrarium of God. That's how I yeah. live my life every yeah. day. Yeah. Well, right. And yet... And yet... And yet... Yes. I was recently alerted, maybe even by some of the people in this very room, to the fact that there is a show airing now that I perhaps should be paying attention to. And that show is The Golden Bachelor. Mm. Yes. So, Nomi, this is this is more your jam than mine. Uh, and you you just wrote about The Golden Bachelor for The New Yorker. So for anyone who needs a primer who's in a, you know, pre- Alex Schwartz, Golden Bachelor, <laughs> yes. What? What? Okay. Yeah, what is okay. this thing? Okay. So let me explain to the listeners who aren't members of Bachelor Nation, the Golden Bachelor. Yes, it's a new show in the Bachelor franchise. Um, it started airing in September on ABC. Normally, the Bachelor features you know hot and horny. Young twenty-something aspiring influencers (laughs) (laughs) who are vying for one leading man or one leading woman in the case of The Bachelorette. But in The Golden Bachelor, we have something new because uh, The Bachelor this time is old. And now it is finally time to meet the mysterious Golden Bachelor. You essentially are going to be the representation for what it looks like to date in your 70s. Feels amazing, and it's still sinking in. Of all the men in the United States of America, over a certain age, I'm the guy? We're all going to be watching. Yeah, I'll be the first Bachelor that's on Social Security. Uh, Gary Turner... Uh, an eligible 72-year-old grandfather from Indiana meets up with 22 contestants aged between 60 and 75. And much like in the original Bachelor, he winnows them down to whoever is the lucky lady that he will probably propose to. That's what usually happens at the end of the Bachelor finale. And so... uh, We have something here that works according to a very familiar formula, but also we have a big departure. It's the first time 
we've been seeing these elders dating in the bachelor way. And we are down to two ladies as of recording time, as of taping time. A final two. There are a final two. And, you know, you can really cut the tension with a knife. Absolutely. Uh, And, you know, Vincent and I are now caught up on The Golden Bachelor. Thank God. I I can't wait to tell you about Mm -hmm. my experience watching it. (laughs) And watching it did make me think about a few things. First, about the reality of contrivance. Mm -hmm. This seems fundamental to the whole genre, the paradoxical fact that real feelings can emerge within a totally fake framework. Yes. And also, I was struck, Nomi, as you were just saying, by how unusual it is to see people in their 60s and 70s pursuing romance and love and sex. Mm -hmm. On screen. Yeah, totally. I mean, there's, there's something about seeing them play out their desires in this format that felt certainly radical and also, I will say, quite regressive to me. This is my contention. Mm -hmm. So today on Critics at Large, we're talking about The Golden Bachelor, reality in heavy quotes, and the art of old love. Awesome. Let's do this. Let's begin with my big question up till now, which is, what is the appeal of shows like The Golden Bachelor and any other reality television dating show? Why do we watch this stuff? Well, um, I'm not as much of a Bachelor person. I used to watch with my wife. Very um, much darker, <laughs> fair, like Love is Blind. Yes. 90 Day Fiance. Yes. Um, oh, my God. I, I'm, so, I'm so sorry. Love After Lockup. Love After Lockup. Love after lock um, and I, I think generally the reason to watch a dating television show is that you are usually only privy to your own attempts at falling in love. And that it's such a private, you see your friends, sort of the, the, the public face of love. But the, the inside, the behind closed doors, you so rarely get to see. And so there is a, number one, just a sort of sociological, like, okay, I mean, I'm doing it right or whatever. You know, it's like, this is how someone falls in love. There's right. a, a template. And also, um, we get to be sort of critics of the act of falling in love. We get to say, you don't like her. Like, that. come on. You know, you get to do this thing that, like, you feel too judgmental doing it with your friends and other people. But yeah. Gary, I, I'm just judging his choices left and right. Can someone just give me the pressy on who the front runners are currently? Uh, we have Leslie, 64 years old, from Minneapolis. I am a fitness instructor, dancer, choreographer. Fun fact, when I was younger, I dated Prince. And he wrote Sexy Dancer, Mommy. Uh, divorced twice. Very youthful looking. Sweet woman. Where's great dancer. A, great dancer. Sexy dancer. Sexy dancer. <laughs> Where's the star of David Necklace? Mm-hmm. And then there is Teresa. I feel like I'm at the best part of my life. I love to garden and I love to play with my grandsons. <laughs> I cannot believe I'm 70. I feel like I have so much more life to live. A widow, um, a grandmother, seems somewhat more conservative than Leslie, and and Faith. We have to we have to just take a moment for Faith. Faith, who was sent home, sent home. Justice for Faith. Just Justice has, for Faith. Vincent, yeah, Vincent, Vincent. Faith is your girl. Yeah, Faith is amazing. You did a nice job there. Well done. Well, I'm proof that you can live fast and not die young. And if you leave here with me. It'll be the ride of your life. <laughs> <laughs> she divulges to Gary that she's had this um, really sort of dissolute childhood. She had she didn't grow up with her mother and father. Um, she was a sort of nearly 
homeless teenager who has made this great life. She's a, a, a radio station host. She is a musician. She plays the guitar and sings for Gary at one point. The man of my dreams If I'm right There's something very calming about Gary. I feel like he's just got such a calm, peaceful demeanor. That was a gorgeous song. Oh, thank you. You had me right from the get-go. So what do you see? I mean, what do you, what do you want your 30 years to look like or however many years? A little bit of this would be just about right. That's nice. And, and you're looking pretty deep right now. Well, I love that about your eyes. I can sense that peace in you. And I, I need that in my life, too. I really do. You can be completely And honest. has a really soulful look that Gary talks about over and over again until after the hometowns, after he tells her that he loves her in front of her family. In front of her family. He, she is the one that is, uh, she is eliminated. She's like the last eliminated in this very painful and shocking way. Mm-hmm. Kicks her to the curb. So, right. So it does make a, a big difference that we're watching older people compete, it seems to me. Yeah. Like, how for you did that change, what we were watching? Well, you know, I think, first of all, part of the reason that I stopped watching The Bachelor maybe around 10 years ago or so after watching, you know, several of, of the earlier uh, seasons is that the contrivance got to be too much. The formula was tight. People knew their roles. They all looked the same. (laughs) It it just seemed to me to be a bit of a dead-in-the-water endeavor. And I felt like watching The Golden Bachelor, they seemed to be at a point in their lives where they weren't really as interested in fame, you know, in the pipeline of being a contestant on The Bachelor and then, like, selling, like, you know, Tommy T on on Instagram, you know, that pipeline to influencer dumb. Um, they seemed to really fall for Gary. It seemed more sincere. And they also seemed to want to be friends with one another. The women were very warm with each other and, and they seemed to to kind of fall into a rhythm of 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 a kind of like community that I wasn't really used to seeing on The Bachelor, which I really liked. And also, you know, just just seeing how thrilled these women seem to be uh, with being seen, you know, as once again eligible, sexual, you know, Ellen going on a uh, – Ellen was a woman from Florida in her early 70s who – was kind of uh, one of the main contenders for Gary's heart, having her go on like a hot air balloon date. Wow. Look at I mean... It's like really like floating. I have enjoyed every minute with you. Will you accept this, Rose? Yes, I will! <laughs> every minute with Ellen today was, was a gift. There's just something about her personality that pulls me in. She could be the one that I spend the rest of my life with. Have you ever been kissed at 100 feet? No, but I'd love to be. You know, them kissing and her saying, like, I'm feeling, like, beautiful again. I'm feeling seen again. So I, you know, that's something I like to see and and felt new and and fresh. Yeah, Vincent, did you feel the same way? Yeah, I mean, um, what I feels genuinely different and therefore refreshing, um, I am not golden myself. But I am a widower, I guess they they call this thing. I've Mm -hmm. never used that word to describe myself, but that is what I am. And it is a lot – that is very – I can understand – and this is not usually part of the love plot – is like 
something happens and then you have to decide again what your life is about. Mm-hmm. That you can like the sort of like the doubleness of feeling of like still missing this one person and but like falling in love with Gary. Like so that is really interesting and seems to me genuinely oh, new about the show. Teresa's story was so similar to mine. All of a sudden my emotion about my loss, just looking at her and, and listening, felt just a little different. I didn't feel like breaking down and crying for once. I felt like I was talking to someone that understood the loss of a spouse. Right now, I have a great circle of friends, but I'm lonely. That's exactly what I think. I feel lonely. I don't want to be alone. I don't want to be alone. You want to have somebody to talk about the sunset. Right. Okay, it's a beautiful sunset, and you walk inside, and you go, well, who might share it with? Right. I want that. I want to be with someone. And... There's no time to waste. Like at this age, we just don't want to waste time. That's true. Just say how you feel. You know, I, I gotta tell you. What? What? I, I really like you a lot. Oh, I, I, oh. I really do. There's a cl- what I did find sincere and genuine about the show was that sense of discovery that the various contestants went through and also that The Bachelor himself went through. That... The bachelor, Gary, had been married for 40-some years to his high school sweetheart, and suddenly he found himself alone. And having been happy in love, there is this question of can you be happy again? And it turns out that not only can Gary be happy again, it's like and how. Gary can be very happy with any number of women. I mean, one thing about this show was I I think Gary said at the start he had been told by his daughters not to go around kissing anyone. Well— he did not take that advice. Spoiler us. alert. That went out the window. That went right out the window. Gary is kissing <laughs> this one. He's kissing that one. He's squeezing this knee. He's rubbing that shoulder. Mm-hmm. He's he's you, telling her, I, I'm in the same place you are. You're my girl. You're my, Oh, the, you're I'm my girl. I'm falling for you. And I think he genuinely was falling for a number of people. But also, there is something very regressive. Mm-hmm. And like, okay, well, let me just put it this way. I watched a couple of episodes with The Golden Bachelor with my own golden parents over the weekend. Beautiful. My dad is... Golden married. Golden married parents. parents, yes. My dad is Gary's age. My mom is older. And my mom had absolutely fallen in love with The Golden Bachelor and was so excited telling me all about it because she had read Nomi's article. She had not seen a single image <laughs> on screen. Wow, I should be on the ABC payroll. Yeah, she was telling me how great it was and how cool it was and how refreshing it <laughs> was ABC, to see. contact me. And she was so excited, um, you know, that, that Leslie w- had pulled back her long, beautiful hair to show her hearing aids. If you ever want to whisper sweet nothings in my ear, I will be able to hear you. Oh, my God. (laughs) (laughs) If if I'm on the other side of you, will you hear it? Hear that, too. Oh, my God. A touching moment. A touching moment and a a great moment. Mm -hmm. Great moment. Um, And then we start to watch. And my mom says, oh, this is not feminist. No, mom. It's not. It's not. It's not. I I led Lucy astray. Well, you didn't lead Lucy astray. It's just, you know, you're watching a bunch of women have to compete with one another over the hand of a man. Again, it is a man who is elevated to this role of prize. And a lot of them have lived very traditional lives, happily. But I feel like once again, they're in this weird situation where the man is primary and they're forced into this intra-female competition over him and yeah, yeah i get that that's the f- format and the structure of the show but that's also kind of like tale as old as time yeah it's i mean it's it's further exacerbated i think by the affects of the people involved so gary 
to me, gives Mitt Romney. He is like, he looks like he'll kiss your mom in the morning and cut your pension in the afternoon. Right. That's yes. how he looks, right? Yes. And his, he's got this very howdy doody, nice guy You affect. know, he's a great, he much like uh, Ronald Reagan, RIP, <laughs> he's the great communicator. He is, but he often <laughs> says nothing, right? And then there are these much women. Like Ronald Reagan, and, the, 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 yes, the, the, <laughs> yes. The way it works, though, is that these women are, um, I see, I think that this regressive thing is why Faith did not win. That's interesting. Teresa is more, she seems the most like traditional, maybe for like, she seems like someone who she, she like sort of dotes on Gary and what he loves about her is he's always just like, she's such a sweet person. She makes me feel great. And then there's Leslie, who is the one that we mentioned, you know, is a dancer, used to date Prince. Faith is more sort of a wilder spirit. And she doesn't, pro- she's the only one who doesn't sort of implicitly promise that she would move to live with Gary. It's like a, you know, that's interesting. At the beginning of their hometown date, she's like showing him the, her horses and how she's tight knit with her family, and he's saying, "You know, how's this going to work?" And she's saying, "Well, I want to be close to my my horse is buried, is buried over here. <laughs> that <laughs> and was I love that was to, a twist, and I want to be close to my family when they call." And it was a clear thing of like, "Well, we don't know how that's going to work." Like she's the one. Yes, she looks at him in this like beautiful way and makes him feel, as he says a million times, makes me feel good, makes me feel good. But she won't totally subjugate her life to him. That is my theory of what happened to her on this show. It's like him so much, so clearly having a category in his mind and the women's like sort of um, brief attempts to fit into that, to this like archetype. The Golden Bachelor shows a very specific picture of romance at this stage in life. And even though they're few and far between, there are others. We'll talk about them in a minute on Critics at Large from The New Yorker. Who are the risk takers that help reinvent and reimagine the kinds of stories we see on TV? We Disrupt This Broadcast, a brand new podcast from the Peabody Awards and the Center for Media and Social Impact, talks to creators of TV shows like Abbott Elementary, Watchmen, Black Mirror, and Better Things to explore how the most compelling shows and the creative powers behind them are upending the status quo. Listen to We Disrupt This Broadcast now, available where you get your podcasts. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards card. You earn up to 3% daily cash on every purchase, every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple. 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. The response to the show has been really positive. It's been really positive in this very room, even among some of us admitted skeptics, in large part for the way that it embraces the idea that people in their 60s and 70s want romance and want sex. But is that just because The Golden Bachelor is trying to sell us this idea that older people have to be sexy in a younger kind of way. They need to be in the high heels. They need to be in the tight dresses. They need to recapture a bit of their own youth. There is that kind of retro date that um, Gary and the women go on. Also, I was very uh, – I did note the fact that a big group date takes place in the Santa Monica Pier, and it's not even the only carnival-like thing of the – season, Mm -hmm. there is this kind of, you know, going back to the teen years feeling. 
Right, you the guys, diner, like the diner. Let's go to the sock hop. <laughs> you know what I mean? Yeah, like it's, there's, it's <laughs> the it's, peach pit. <laughs> yeah, let's go back to an earlier time in our lives. I mean, do you guys think that the show successfully gets at what aging romance could and should look like, or is it just backwards looking in that way? You know, it's 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 a mix, and I want to be fair. There are times what it does well. Um, just back to this sort of theme of. Um, widowhood and grief is that there are times when you know there's a, a moment when the women another group date the women are supposed to be shooting uh sort of f- faux bodice rippers with gary like the, the covers the for covers. for romance novels with gary and the setup is like they're wearing wedding clothes and one of the women sort of like starts to cry and and say i haven't like worn a wedding dress since my own wedding and you know there so there is this way that it does carry you know, these are people who are carrying wounds around and they're not just old looking young people and they're, they're not just trying to reproduce um, a, a plot that we've already seen. So I want to give it credit for doing that and sort of uh, I think the <laughs> the current term is making space for that grief. Um, holding space. Holding sp- Oh, that's even better. Um, <laughs> you got to hold it. And um, but on the other hand, sure, it's like um, it posits love as a phenomenon of youth. It's a weird definition of what it means to thrive in old age. Here it seems that the, the definition of that is to be youthful, in quotes. Yeah. Like that what it means to be a good old person is to seem younger. Like to be able to, as Gary does on A Date with Leslie, ride around on RTVs. Right. Right. Mm-hmm. And it's like the, the Golden Bachelor that I want to see and like want to be is like some guy sitting on a porch talking a lot of shit. And that oh, there's no there's no space for that. So you want to you want to see super super see old Papa. and golden. Yeah. You want to see. Papa. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, okay. So yeah, are there other other things that come to mind? Other texts, shall we say, that offer a picture of romance at this stage in life? I will say that um, for me, I think of a lot of older men, particularly because older men and the older male libido has not been underrepresented. I mean, look at the work of Philip Roth. Like exactly. I'm thinking of yes. thinking of David Kepesh, who is a longtime Roth character mm. back from yes. youth, middle age, and then we finally got him in the dying animal when he said, and I quote, still should a man horny. of 70 still be involved in the carnal aspect of the human comedy? And the answer was yes, but with younger women. <laughs> so right, right, yes. Right. For older women, I think older women have had much more of a representation problem. There was a book that I really loved that came out a few years ago called Scary Old Sex, written by actually a first-time writer, Arlene Heyman. And it really got at, like, I heartily recommend it to you guys because It really got at what it's like to be an older person who still has desire and still has a body, frankly, uh, that that should be reckoned with and was much more mutual than I think a lot of the things I'm used to seeing. Yeah. And and one other thing I wanted to talk about is is the series and just like that, the Sex and the City reboot that premiered on Max in 2021. And it comes back to the characters that we knew from the original series who were in their 30s when that aired, and it finds them now uh, in their 50s. But they're still (laughs) sexual. I seem to have replaced too much drinking with obsessive masturbation. 
Oh. Is it menopause, you think, or is it just my compulsive personality? Well, I can't see that I've uh, seen a real spike in my sex drive these days, but I might not be the best control group. Oh, shit. I'm sorry. If you're not up for hearing about my perverted fantasies, I understand. No, please, yak it up. Any time not spent up there inside is time well spent. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I want to hear. Who have you been fantasizing about? Mm-hmm. Honestly? Carrie's boss. Chey. Oh, yeah, yeah, I get that. You do? Really? Oh, yeah. There was a lot of both excitement and discomfort vis-a-vis that. And I, you know, before the show came out, the first season of the show came out, I interviewed Sarah Jessica Parker for Vogue, and she was talking about this, and, and she said, you know, why are people so obsessed with the fact that we've aged? And mind you, of course, these are highly attractive, highly slim, you know, as young as pos- humanly possible looking right. women. Um and yet they're older. It's just like it's it's biology. And she said, what do people want me to do? Do they want me to disappear? Like they think I should be ashamed that I'm no longer 35. And I think there's a lot of that in culture. Well, it's interesting because the it, the original Sex in the City, it seems it was, a, was sort of explicitly about how even at 35 – in sort of New York City years, you might as well be seventy. Oh my God! Right? There was like, one was of the, all, it, one of my favorite episodes was when Carrie turns thirty five and she goes, and it's very traumatic. She goes to the restaurant, no one shows up. There, there's some sort of like birthday, yeah. snafu, like nobody comes to her birthday dinner, and she's like, in, "There's a, a another woman, a younger woman, sitting at another table celebrating her birthday." And they bring her a cake, and she says, 25, fuck, I'm old. And you see Carrie's face, you know, fall because she's 35. And, like, oh, my God, that's, like, as old as the hills. Right. Right? And, yeah, so it's it's interesting because, like, even in, like, just quickly to go back to The Golden Bachelor, it's, like, even then, the the lamentation about Gary is not so much, like, I love Gary. It's, like, it's so hard to find a guy like this right now. Like, female sexuality is always about a certain kind of clock ticking, no matter— when it is. Yeah. But then I, I also think about um, what's it called? It's Complicated, mm-hmm. the Nancy Myers mm-hmm. movie with mm-hmm. Meryl Streep, where she's fallen. She's sort of in a an affair with her ex-husband, Alec Baldwin. But then she falls in love with her kindly architect, Steve Martin. Oh, happens, but... <laughs> but no girlfriend yet. Not yet. Mm-hmm. Just like dating. Actually, I find it really stressful. You know, the last time I was in the dating world was 1978. <laughs> And it's so much more complicated these days. Oh, no. I can't tell you how nice it is to have a conversation with a woman and have the pressure off. Not to mention a home cook. That was a compliment. Uh, yeah. So an older woman that's kind of in the middle of a, a really interestingly posed uh, love triangle. Mm-hmm. Um, and then every single iteration of the father of the bride is sort of like an older the most recent one was with Andy Garcia. There's like in this all Cuban milieu. And it's like about, you know, it's really about uh, an older guy, like learning how much of an asshole he has been and trying to sort of re-ingratiate himself with his wife. So to sort of like uh, close the circle of the, 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 the love plot and bring it back together. To me, there's this is also a... I feel like the boomers once again are creating a new frontier in our culture because, of course, like the boomers... What were the first youth generation? Yeah. They kind right. of thought that they discovered what it was to be young, 
And in some ways, they have set a model of what it was to be young that persists for all the generations that have followed. You listen to your own music. You have sex in a way that would creep your parents out. You kind of run around <laughs> going to music festivals or whatever. And then right. at some indeterminate point, you grow up and live your life. But now here the boomers are again saying, we're here. Yes, we're older. And we want to we want to get old in our own way. We don't want to go back to this idea of just simply fading away and sitting calmly on the porch and watching <laughs> I mean, interestingly, sheep, it's also the, the – Who are you imagining them the, watching, the, Vincent? The, the, the dogs. The dogs. Wow. <laughs> okay. I, <don't> know. <laughs> I mean, it's also the last generation maybe that has um, the financial security to sort of keep fucking, you know? I mean, do you know what That's I mean? That's right. Yeah. Do you know yeah. what I'm saying? Yeah. Like, I, it's, I, I don't fully – can you, can you? This is all posed as like a very upper it's, middle class, like yes, now it's an upper, I need to... you know, Nancy Myers, you know, that all of these, sure. all of these things, and mm-hmm. just like that as well. You know, having sex is a leisure pursuit, right? Or having or exploring sex, not having sex. People have sex on all of, but sort of being like dating as an occupation. Dating as an occupation. I have the time and the resources to go looking for to continue now that you know I'm widowed mm-hmm. or I'm right divorced. dating is leisure the okay kids, I'm with you the kids are off you know the kids are now adults maybe they have their own children you know I'm now it's my time to explore you know what sex might mean to me what love might mean to me as a 7-year-old woman say or something and so that has something to do with it as well. The sort of like the the fact that it's kind of like a, an upper middle class milieu that has the time for this exploration and the leisure and 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 the pension and and whatever it is. You that's know? A, that's a very interesting point, Naomi. People are going to be working at Seven Eleven at eighty. They're not going to be fucking. Yeah, right. I mean, we're 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 hearing all the time about how retirement is, of course, more precarious than it ever was. Mm-hmm. Si- the situation is bad. People are going to be working. For longer, people mm-hmm. already are working for longer. The the old in our country, actually, you know, the re, the retired age is probably as unretired as yes. as it ever was. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, you do have this vision of what could be this this idealized, and maybe that is both. It's a it's a positive and a negative fantasy, maybe at the same time. It's the positive fantasy, of course, that people want to find love again and have hope that they can. That's the huge theme of the show that everyone has hope that they can feel these feelings again and bond really in a very deep level romantically again. And at the same time, you know, is it just are we all destined in the dystopian vision of the future that has just occurred to me? Are we all destined to be kind of watching the bachelor, the special few, get a chance at this as we toil away at our, you know, at the 7-Eleven where it's playing on TV. Yeah. I mean, I think there's like something purely perhaps material to learn about the fact that ABC wants to do a show like this. Um, And it probably has to do with demographics. Like, you know, the not only are older people less retired than ever, but they're also a larger percentage of the population of the United States than they've ever been. And, you know, we talk about just like the teenager was invented. Mm. There might be like a, 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 a parallel sort of old age teenagerdom that is we're watching being constructed for market purposes. Do you know what I mean? I like, think that's exactly what's he, going that's, on. I think is, you just so nailed it. Here is, yeah. a, here is a whole new part of life that starts at 67 and, and goes for – I mean, you know, part of the thing here is that they're like the rest of my life. It's plausible. When Gary says I want somebody to spend the rest of my life with, it's like – I look at Gary. I think he's got another 15, 20 years in him. I yeah. think he's got – there is a whole other part of his life that he that needs to be accounted for and, by the way, needs to be marketed to. 
And so the, just the fact that this exists is kind of fascinating. Okay, so you have just made a very important point, which is that we have seen the advent right here of the second teenagerdom. Mm-hmm. I think it's uh, and they're all in. <laughs> <laughs> it's Gary's Rumspringa. <laughs> One thing I want to ask you guys about is how shows like The Bachelor have actually shaped the way that we think about love stories at large. Critics at Large from The New Yorker will be right back. Hello there, radio listeners. It's Luke Burbank, host of LiveWire. Each week, we bring you riveting and unexpected conversations with the people behind some of the most interesting entertainment and culture out there today. Plus, we're going to introduce you to great music and outrageously funny comedy. And you get to hang with me and our announcer, Elena Passarello, as we talk about the best news of the week. So please, don't miss Livewire. One thing I want to know from you guys is... Bachelor has now been going for for so many years. For Was it 20 years? For decades. I yeah. mean, yeah, I think it's 20 years or something like that, for actual decades. Mm-hmm. It's so deeply in the culture, even if some of us have never directly engaged before. But how do you think it's affecting love stories in general? Like it's so, you know, an interesting thing for me watching The Golden Bachelor was – how familiar the contestants were with how the show worked. There was even a mom of a prior contestant on the show. They all know what Hometowns is. Mm -hmm. Like, of course, they'll know what the roses are. They all know. So has that changed how we, like, is that, it's a love story. Do you guys understand what I'm saying? Yeah, totally. I mean, I I think that there there was a a specific moment in one of the episodes where Ellen, one of the contestants who almost made it to the top three, uh, definitely had a connection with Gary, um, lamented that he took another uh, another contestant um, and had a date with her that ended in a hot tub. And she said, oh, this is The Bachelor. When it gets to the hot tub, that's serious. And so there is this familiarity of both the contestants and us, the viewers, those of us who have watched The Bachelor before, of these tropes that are, at this point, meaningful on their own and have probably influenced the way people think about romance. But I think they're also based on age-old tropes of of how people relate to each other, you know, when, like, senior prom, (laughs) you know, you go and you give a corsage to someone. You know, I mean, all of these things in our culture, especially in American culture, um, where a man in formal wear chooses a woman in (laughs) in a gown, (laughs) you know, and that means love, and that spells love. It's, 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 It's like a kind of regressive in a lot of ways, but a forever kind of trope uh, Hmm. that has 
structured popular culture. And that not incidentally is now changing more than ever before. I mean, there are certainly, it is certainly more mainstream than it ever has been before to have not that romantic configuration. Definitely. Whether it is same-sex relationships, whether it is more than two people in a relationship, polyamory, sure. whatever it is. Non-binary people. Non-binary people. Yeah, yeah, of course. It's it's the this kind of man, woman, suit, suit, suit gown. tight mm-hmm. gown. Yeah. It's interesting. There is a conventionality, but there's also a totally non-conventional thing that happens that actually The Bachelor clarifies because, like, the fact that all my friends, like, go on dating apps. Right. And are dating more than one person. Yes. And say, this person's really compatible with this in this way. This one's really hot and I like them and I can't stop hanging out with them even though I know it's probably not as whatever. And, you know, the sort of not just like formalized polygamy, but like the functional polygamy of dating where you're just like having sex and or saying very sweet things and or like just going out on dates with more than one person. Weirdly, The Bachelor, I don't know if it prefigured that, but it prefigured that being like an explicit aspect of our sex lives. Totally. And you can can see it. I I really that that's a great point. And I you can see it, too, in some of the problems that Gary comes up against and the women in turn have to deal with where the women, because of spending time together, at this point it hasn't been sex. It's it's going to be sex with the fantasy suites, which are coming up, mm-hmm. you know, soon on the show. Um, but the fact that they feel like he owes them something, you know, because they've had a connection, they made out, they That's had right. a wonderful night together, and then he wants to fulfill something for them on that level, but he also can't because of the structure of of The Bachelor. But that's also, as far as I can hear from friends who are single and so on, that's how it goes in real life too, right? You had a great date with someone, you had sex with them, you want them to text you after. Yeah. You Maybe you want the, to have more of a connection, but for them it was just sex and that's fine. That's legitimate. They're free agents and yet there's that sting, right? Right. That happens. So I think you're totally right that it kind of the the bachelor shows us what it's <laughs> what it's like to date in a crowded marketplace. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, what I kind of want to know because I'm now divided on this myself is do you guys think that something like the bachelor or let's just go to the golden bachelor, like is this good, neutral or bad for the culture? Usually we don't rank things in this way, (laughs) but I ask this because I recently saw a very different kind of Mm. show in this vein, Naked Attraction, which has come to us from England and is now airing on Max. And the premise of that show is basically the exact opposite of the premise of a show like The Bachelor. Every naked body is a wonderful thing. And as someone who's loved men and women, I fully appreciate the bits that boing and bounce on both sexes. So I'm in the right place. Inside each of these coloured pods is a brave, naked singleton. One of them will be picked to go on a date. But who's doing the choosing? I'm Ina. I'm 32 years old and I'm from London. I'm a music producer. The contestant on the show looks at six people of the sex of their choosing presented in this kind of these kind of neon-lit test tubes and first evaluates them based purely on their bodies shown from the waist down. Mm -hmm. So they're looking – it's all about just 
physical attraction and not the kind of physical attraction we're used to where the whole person is looking at the whole person and there's some kind of, you know, something that's being communicated. It's It's pure pure body body. evaluation. Mm -hmm. And I gather that part of the point of that show is to um, make explicit something that does go on in the apps where people are rejected all the time because they don't look a certain way. So here it's like, okay, just look at how they look. Let's let's without any pretense and any you know, any artifice, show them exactly as they are, and then you can evaluate their bodies and decide. And a lot of people go on the show say, oh, this has left me feeling so good about my body and I was able to expose it and I feel great for those people who feel that way. At the same time, I am pretty convinced that this is the worst possible way we've yet found (laughs) to evaluate other people as potential romantic partners. Like, Maybe as potential sex partners, but like even then, something right. seems even like then pretty that seems so strange. Yeah, pretty off about it. Um, so like, is that good, bad, or neutral for the culture? Eh, I'm leaning towards not great. Yeah, not great. But can we be honest about something about the Bachelor? Yeah, we yes. should be. If it's we can. very obvious who he's attracted to from the very beginning, mm. and these are the people that made it the farthest. This is another reason to watch. Uh, this kind of TV, by the way. It's just like watching somebody just be attracted to somebody is fascinating. And you can tell at the at the beginning, like this is why the Faith thing is ridiculous because you, when Gary sees Faith, when she sits on the couch next to him the first time mm-hmm. and he's looking into her eyes, that man is lost. It, it's not quite, uh, what is it? Not Naked and Afraid. What's it called? <laughs> <laughs> it's I'm called afraid. Naked, it's naked, called naked Attraction. Naked yeah. It definitely should be called Naked and Afraid. Yeah, it's not Naked Attraction, but the sort of mechanics, it's the instant mechanics, attraction. yes, the instant mechanics of somebody being attracted to somebody else, they persist. And a lot of these women, when they first, they, I love when they kind of show up the very first time that they ever see him. They kind of all come in limos and they walk up to Gary and like there's a lot of, a lot of busty dresses and stuff. So it's not, I don't know if it's that far off, which is like an interesting thing about just watching people. Yeah, be there's just to more, each other. maybe there's more euphemism around it, right? Than, than naked attraction where it's like, you're in uh, the the contestants are are yeah in a glass box <laughs> with their. I don't think it's bits more euf- out. Well, I don't think it's about euphemism. I think it's about the fact that right with their bits out. I think it's about the fact that attraction usually happens from the top down and not from the bottom up, and it, it yes. does have something to do with. The eyes, the soul, the (laughs) words that are said from the mouth, all of these things can make a body seem like the greatest body that there ever was. Whereas in reverse, you can look at the greatest body that ever was and then look into the eyes, hear the words coming from the mouth and think, get me away from this body as fast as you possibly can. (laughs) That's right. You sound like my therapist. (laughs) 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 Hope that's a good thing. Yeah. You know, I, I, right. I Basically, I do think there's a reason why The Bachelor has stuck around for 20 seasons in Naked Attraction. Well, it's not. I mean, it seems to have been many seasons of that. But uh, I guess if we had to choose a way for the culture to go, I'd rather it go with The Golden Bachelor over The Bachelor and over Naked Attraction for sure. Yeah. Like despite like Gary's crocodile tears or not crocodile tears, but his, his <laughs> constant like crying while he is swaggers around like, you know, choosing between these women who are all like feel like desperately in love with it. You know, there there's something there is something gross about it. But I do think overall it's 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 more lovely than not. So will you guys be rooting for a golden bachelorette? hundred percent. If there is one and it's not Faith, I will disavow this franchise forever. She was done a grave injustice. The other one that I would consider is Ellen. I am of the 
Oh, yeah. I'm of the opinion that Gary's deep repression and traditional values made him choose. Like, he should have, the two, the final two should have been Faith and Ellen, the people that he seemed to actually like the most. No, I'm Team Leslie. I'm Team Leslie. Okay. Yeah, I think these shows operate, like, part of the legitimacy of them has to do with parody. So we have to be able to see a bunch of men in in, Scrambling. in the mansion. Scrambling in the mansion. Scrambling in the mansion. A bunch of old men just, like, just, like— Picking little fights with each other. Well, what would be really funny Where's also? Where's the mayonnaise? You know, like, yeah, just... like, we know that the women of this generation, like, we know that <laughs> they can, we know that Pop. they can cook for one another. Like, put a bunch of men this age. I mean, I hope that they survive. Like, gonna I, ca- I think it's going to become a survivor. No, they're not. <laughs> oh, yeah. they're not. <laughs> Naked and afraid. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> This has been Critics at Large. Our senior producer is Rhiannon Corby, and Alex Barish is our consulting editor. Our executive producer is Stephen Valentino. Alexis Quadrado composed our theme music, and we had engineering help today from James Yost with mixing by Mike Kutchman. If you enjoyed this episode, go ahead and leave us a review wherever you listen. Apple, Spotify, wherever. It really does help other people find the show. And of course, we want to know what you think. Also, next week is Thanksgiving, which means that we are finally going to get to run a conversation we've been wanting to share for a while now. It's a talk that the three of us did at the New Yorker Festival earlier this fall, where we sat down with the comedian Samantha Irby to try to get to the bottom of humor. How to be funny. How to be funny. Tons of laughs. Which is so much fun. Oh, yeah. And I, was... I personally can't wait to hear us again. <laughs> That's right. Can't wait, can't wait to relive it from the audience perspective. It exactly. Was, it was that good. So keep an eye out for that and see you soon. Hi, I'm Deborah Treisman, fiction editor of The New Yorker and host of The New Yorker Fiction Podcast. On the podcast, I ask a great contemporary writer to select a favorite story from the magazine's almost 100-year archive to read and discuss. Together, we delve into the story, exploring its themes, its style, and what makes fiction work. You can listen to authors like Otessa Moshfeg talk about why we write. Story, or attaching a story or creating a story, is this inclination that we all have to stop spinning. And you can hear writers like George Saunders discuss the nature of storytelling. On the first read, you accept these things as descriptions and they make you see the scene, but every line is a chance to inflect the reader's mind. You'll discover new favorite authors and read old favorites in new ways. Episodes of the New Yorker Fiction Podcast are released on the first of every month. Listen and follow wherever you get your podcasts.